From which book will we be reading? The Bible. <laughs> The third book of the book of the Psalms. Who can tell me how many books there are in the Psalms? Five. Five. How many chapters in the book of the Psalms? None. None? That's exactly right. Well, if you don't have chapters, how many verses? That's more than I can figure but each is an independent, a standalone passage of Scripture. So which one do we have today? 73. Anybody else? We did do 73 last week. And 73 is a, a good passage of Scripture. <laughs> uh, don't you love it? Oh, this is a good Scripture. Well, <laughs> there are no bad Scriptures. Not, not in this Bible. We are looking at Psalm 74. Did anybody graduate 1974? In here? Okay, might be a, might be a while before we get to any more graduation years. But let's read these 23 verses. <clears throat> you know, it's really weird. This jiggles on me, but it gets kind of fuzzy without. So <clears throat> bear with me, please. Oh God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? <laughs> Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They set up their ensigns, for signs. A man was famous according as they had lifted up axes upon the thick trees, but now they break down the carved work thereof at once with axes and hammers. They have cast fire into thy sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet. Neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand? Pluck it out of thy bosom. For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan, which is an interesting creature here in his own study, in pieces, and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. <clears throat> Thou didst cleave the fountain and the flood. Thou dragged up mighty rivers. The day is thine, the night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. Thou hast set all the borders of the earth. Thou hast made my made summer and winter. Remember this, that the enemy hath reproached, O Lord, and that the foolish people have blasphemed thy name. Who deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove unto the multitude of the wicked. Forget not the congregation of thy poor forever. Have respect unto the covenant for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. Oh, let not the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy praise thy name. Arise, O God, plead thine own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproacheth thee daily. Forget not the voice of thine enemies. 
the tumult of those who rise up against thee increaseth continually. A few weeks ago we were at uh, Mardell. And you know, Mardell has, to, to me, it's, it's like paradise, heaven on earth, because they have preacher books and teacher books and office supplies. <clears throat> and I found a little thing, in fact, I've got it in the office back there. It says, Happy Camper. And sometimes up at camp, people will see me. What are you smiling about, Brother Rich? I guess I'm just a happy camper. Sometimes, though, people aren't happy campers, are they? Sounds like a lot of folks addressed in this song weren't happy campers. But in this song, as I've read over this, I've labeled this for my purposes, the key to all that we have all that we are and all that we will be. And that is that God is the maker and keeper of his covenants. Can anyone tell me what a covenant is? <clears throat> That's an important concept. It comes up a lot in the scripture. Like an agreement or a contract? Good. A promise? Good. Covenant is a special promise. Usually in the scripture, a covenant is a solemn declaration. Something that you would not be casual about. God makes covenants. In fact, <clears throat> like it was yesterday, I remember one, one time I heard my old mentor, Brother Lawrence Crawford. He said, God does not relate to man except through a covenant. God gives his word. God lays it down. And, of course, Hebrews, it tells us he couldn't swear by anyone or anything greater, so he swore by himself. God doesn't fool around. God doesn't kid. He doesn't just shoot off the hip, so to speak, and, and make a statement and then later try to deny it or anything like that. And when God says a thing, it is sure, it is steadfast. You know that it is so. And I think we need to understand that our God has gone on record. Somebody says, I think I might lose my salvation. You know what? If it was up to me, I'd have lost my salvation a long time ago. And I think if you've been saved a long time, you can look back and say, yeah, if it was up to me, I would have lost it too. I would have forfeited my relationship. But God has an investment. The Father sent the Son who spent his blood that we might be eternally safe and secure. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6 for a moment because it's in that context we read about his great covenant. A little bit about it here. And of course, it's not just in the new, it's laid out in the old as well. Hebrews chapter 6. Let's look at verses 16 through 19. <clears throat> For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. If you say, supposing this, supposing that, that doesn't carry a whole lot of weight with me, and probably doesn't with you. But when I say, by all that is holy, let me tell you, in no uncertain terms, such and such, such and such, such and such. I hope you would with me realize that I'm 
trying to say this with all seriousness. This is something that is so. You know, if you talk to somebody and you give your word about something, it's, I have my fingers crossed. Like that negates it. That, that's a shame that sometimes people do. People, others like that. But when you enter into a very solemn arrangement, you know, God very wisely came up with a very special arrangement between man and woman, and we call it marriage. No one has ever come to me and said, I need to re-up my wedding vows because when you declare your vows that's till death do you part it's uh it's not something you just want to go into lightly it's not something as well i can i can always change this it's a covenant church covenant. It is a sacred promise. A very solemn vow that we make to God in the context of the church. It's an important thing. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. You know what the word immutable means? It does not change. It cannot change. It will not change. God's not always, well, I said this the other day, but then on Tuesday I said that, and who knows what I'm going to say later on. No, God is not that way. He is always holy. He is always righteous. He's not wise one day and foolish another. God has the view that we need to have. So he's willing to show the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie. What would you say to somebody that said God can do anything? What would you say to well, God can do anything, you know. But fail. He could fail? No, but fail. Okay. Could God be foolish? No. God could not, would not, never will be foolish. It is impossible just like we read here, for God to lie. Is it possible for me to lie? Does that mean it's okay? But uh, I am liable to lie, to make a deliberate fabrication, to say something that is not so, and I know at the time it's not so. I try not to lie, and I, I know the scripture has a commandment. Don't bear false witness. And whether it's under oath in a courtroom, or whether it's just talking to people, it's important as God's child that I speak the truth. Sometimes it's not comfy to speak the truth. Sometimes you think, you said, I'd rather take a beating than have to tell the truth. But we ought to tell the truth. But with God, it's not a quick one. Say, should I lie? Or should I? No. It's impossible for God to lie that we might have a strong consolation. It's so because God said so. We have fled for refuge, lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. We sing a song, we have an anchor that keeps the soul. I think it's in this hymn that we've been 
use it. Because if you hinge something on the maybes of this world, or the kind of sortas of our fickle hearts, that's too fuzzy. I don't want to be anchored into cheesecloth or to jello. I want to be anchored into something that is as sure as sure can be. Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. It's as sure as we can be sure about anything. So, God has these covenants that he's made. For time consideration, I won't give you everything in my notes, but if you go back to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 6, God tells Noah, I've made a covenant. I'm going to spare you and your household. You build this ark to the saving of your house. And all the land-based animals were represented. Now, not all the animals on the planet, but there were at least two. And of the clean seven that way he could have one to sacrifice after and there were still three to keep the clean animals population going. so he he made a covenant he swore to Noah this is what I will do also told they would not do then after the flood was over in chapter 9 he brought that up again and again and again in the scripture. And going back to Genesis chapter 9, not only does God go on record, but he makes it clear that he doesn't forget. You know, that's, that's one of the things about God. Whether you remember a thing or not, God remembers he knows what we've said. He knows what we haven't said. He knows what our mindset was at the time when we say or don't say a thing. Well, if you look, as I said, in the ninth of Genesis, look at verses 15 and 16. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh even to the animals, God made this promise that He takes His promises seriously. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. Now has anybody, have any animals drowned since the flood? Sure. But has the planet had a worldwide flood since then? No. <coughs> because God gave his word. Now there might be one over here and a river valley. And there might be a place where the ocean rose and covered an island someplace of the sea. But the whole earth has not been so inundated. In fact, <clears throat> 2 Peter 3 tells us the old world was overcome with water and it perished. There's a sense in which this planet died. Now the sea creatures survived and Noah and the other seven humans on the ark and all the creatures on the ark, they survived, but all the other land-based beings were drowned or gobbled up by other things before they could drown. That was the end. And God said, it's never going to happen again. That doesn't mean that He Valley can't get a flood. That doesn't mean that the Mississippi River will not overflow its banks. There were some folks down in New Orleans a few years ago when Hurricane Katrina hit. I've seen some of the before and after pictures. There were people inundated. But it didn't affect the whole state of Louisiana. It didn't affect all of North America now, did it? So God gave his word. 
And you know, God has even given us a reminder of that. We call it the rainbow. Every time you see a rainbow, you know what you should think about? I hope it's that, well, according to Isaac Newton, that's a display of all the colors there. And then, but that's a, that's a sign. The main thing we should get out of that is God has put this bow to remind us of his covenant. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant. He didn't say, this is all good for 50 years, folks. No. It was good for all of Noah's life and the lives of all the other seven that were aboard the ark and their children and their children on and on and on for thousands of years till the Lord returns until this world is made new it'll still be true so if you want to be biblical when you see a rainbow I hope you don't say what a pretty display it's interesting how in the physics that, that works out you know well, it's more than just a display to entertain or to perhaps be aesthetically pleasing. God put it there that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. The heathen, the, the atheist who doesn't even say he believes in God, if he looks, he sees that, he might try to explain it away. But right here, this ninth of Genesis, we see what God is saying and why. He remembers his covenant. He tells us in Exodus chapter 6 that, <coughs> pardon me, the Hebrews cried out in bondage year after year after year. And they probably thought, God can't, God won't listen to us. We're just wasting our time crying out to him. And yet it tells us well into that time of slavery, the Lord remembered his covenants. God doesn't say a thing and just say, no, oh, that was then, this is now. And we speak of the covenant of redemption. In Isaiah 55, he makes a statement that should register with us. The first three verses of Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come by wine and milk, without money, without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. I don't think he's talking about the physical, but I think he's talking about the spiritual. I hope you agree with me on that. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. What God promised to Abraham. God caused it to come to pass. If there was any doubt in anyone's mind back then, just wait. In God's time, in God's way, according to God's purpose, it did come to pass. We need to know that that's so. And as children of God, we should take seriously what it is to think about this eternal. Is a great promise given. In Matthew 26, <clears throat> Lord willing, two weeks from today, if I read the calendar correctly, it'll be the first day of 2023. And on that day, the Lord willing, will be an observance of the Lord's Supper. When the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, He said something in Matthew 26. 
verse 28. When he held up the cup, he'd said in 27, drink ye all of it. And he went on to explain, for this, what you see right here, it's not just the blood of the grape. It's not just the stuff that you might be enjoying on a regular basis. This that I do right here, it's an emblem of something. This is my blood of the New Testament. I reach my wallet and pull out a picture of Marcia. This is my wife. You say, your wife is a two by three picture? No. It's a representation of Marcia. When I say this is my wife, likewise, the Lord held up the cup. And he says, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And you know what the word testament is a substitute for? Covenant. Covenant. What a coinky day. Isn't it interesting how that works out? Now I want you to see something. And I'm, I'm beholden to Brother Crawford for this as well. You'll notice that Matthew 26, he says, this is my blood of the New Testament. Now think about that a moment. Go back to Hebrews chapter 13. Last chapter of Hebrews, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Brother Crawford had us young preachers and he said, now men, did Jesus, when he shed his blood, was that the blood of the New Testament? Yes. We just read Matthew 26. Well, is that the same as the blood of the everlasting covenant? We don't want to be scolded and told, no, that's wrong. You had to know Lord Crawford. These people don't get this right. But he says, of course it's the same. Unless Christ had two kinds of blood. And the light bulb came on. Unless Christ had two different kinds of blood then it's the same thing. So the New Testament is also the everlasting covenant. It was new to them because they were used to Passover. They were used to the different cups from which they would drink and the, and the other things that they would have in the Passover meal. In fact, he instituted it while they were in observance of the Passover. Now, you might not agree with me. That's okay. We can still be friends. But I'm of the opinion that they observed the Passover and then Judas skedaddled. And it was then that he instituted the supper. Some people say, I don't see how you can believe in closed communion. Well, Mary wasn't even there. there. There were lots of folks that believed by that time, but it was only the church. And I believe old Judas had already skied out, like I said. But our great God is eternal. When He does a thing, it's not on again, off again. His words and His works are eternal. Now, if I were to be asked, well, what's the key verse of this psalm? Well, for my thinking, it'd be verse 20. Have respect unto the covenant. See, what we do, we want to think, well, Lord, I, think about me. I'm somebody. I'm pretty special. But we know that what God has promised will come to pass no matter what we think about ourselves or somebody else, because the Lord has spoken. 
And when he speaks, he speaks definitely. He speaks authoritatively. He speaks finally. The planet Earth, the heavens above us, someday they're all going to be burnt up. And Jesus himself said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Lord, let him come back first. I'm going to die. So are you. But things will continue until such time as the Lord <coughs> pardon me, brings a consummation to all things. You might also want to look at verse 12 from this. God is my king of old. Some people say, one of these days he's going to be king. You need to get the memo. God has been my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. And so, as our king, and we find that time after time in Scripture, and the fact that it's God who works salvation. Psalm 68. It wasn't too long ago we read that. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of salvation. He that is our God is the God of salvation. That's where it is. And so, God's people need to know that God knows, and we need to remember, and we need to respect what it is that God has promised and done. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of like the number five for a lot of reasons. And so there are five verses I want us to think about real quick here in this song. The first one is, look at verse two. Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion wherein thou hast dwelt. God has done a work. Hitherto comes out in Scripture. means up till now. What has God done in the past, even up to this present time? He has his congregation in the context of the church. Of course, the Lord said, He'll build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There were some great preachers in the 16th, 17th, 18th and 19th century. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're probably all dead by now. I knew some great preachy preachers in the 20th century. And they're now with the Lord. But until the Lord comes back, He will have His churches. And the truth will be preached. And so we remember the congregation. Look now, drop down to verse 18. Because not everybody is a big fan of what God is doing. Some people will look the other way. Some people will sneer and jeer. Look at verse 18. Remember this, that the enemy hath reproached, O Lord, and that the foolish people have blasphemed my name. There are people who think, God, if I mention his name at all, shouldn't want to be the punchline to a crass and a crude joke. Only a way to attempt to embarrass those who attempt to live by the teachings of this blessed book. The enemy has no love for the truth as it is in Jesus. They have no regard for your conviction to live for the Lord. We think about young Daniel, who as a young man was hauled a great distance away from his homeland and he was put in a hostile environment. And yet he worshiped the Lord. I think you mentioned that this morning in our talk about prayer. It's important that we see 
that through sick and through sin, Daniel, when he knew that those scoundrels had buttered up the king and said, for the next so, next so many days, if anybody prays to anybody other than you or who you say, they should be cast into a den of lions. We think that'd be a good law. You want to put your seal of approval on that? The king said, sure. And once he did, they said, now we've got it. Daniel, knowing full well that it was illegal. You know how it is that Christians get captured in some lands? Because they say, I'm going to do what the Lord said. If it's illegal for us to have a service in which we honor Jesus Christ, we're still going to gather and we're going to worship Jesus Christ. You find out who the sunny day patriots are. You find out who the fair weather friends of Jesus are. <coughs> when there's a time of persecution. In fact, one of the earlier Bible conferences, if you will, a council was held because there were some people, when one man came to power, he was the emperor in Rome, and he, bam, come down hard. And some folks said, I'm not going to go hanging around with both Christians. I'm not going to be caught praying. I'll go through all the motions and I won't be able to tell I'm any kind of a Christian. And then that emperor would die and another when he was kind of mellow. He said, hey, I don't care who or what you worship. Just don't go killing people or stealing or anything like that. And suddenly these folks would come out of the woodwork and they, oh, how I love Jesus and all that. They were fair-weather friends. And some of them had been excluded from the churches because of their coldness, their disassociation with the people of God. But when they came schmoozing around, some people said, well, uh, that's fine. We're glad to have you anytime. And others said, we think that people ought to at least be accountable and come to terms with the fact that it does make a difference when it gets to be a hard and hot time to honor the Lord if they bail because not everybody is going to say I'm with the Lord through thick and through thin one of the reasons why we have the wording that we do in the church covenant is to remind us that we've made a commitment to God and to our fellow believers in a place. And if you leave that place, I don't know if, if you're providentially moved somewhere, it says as soon as it's possible, we'll unite with another <coughs> group of life, faith, and practice. It is important. You know, Marsha and I, through the years we've known of some people, they say, well, I believe I'm, I'm just going to stop doing this. And they don't go to some other, they just stay home. They just go fishing or whatever. You know, the, the worst thing you can do as a child of God is, I'm not going anywhere. I just sit around and twiddle my thumbs and wait for Jesus to come. It, it grieves me to think about people like that. Yeah, I don't know some people jump ship, but I've known of some people that they just, Gotta die on the vine. I'm not saying they lose their salvation, but they sure don't act like a bright and shining testimony to Jesus Christ. What have the wicked done? They have spoken so wickedly, especially about the Lord and His people. Remember this, that the enemy hath reproached, O Lord, and that the foolish people have blasphemed thy name. When Job was in a tight, his own friends came to him and said, why don't you just curse God? He wouldn't do that. In fact, I believe his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? And he had some problems. He had feet of clay like all the rest of us, but he didn't curse God. In fact, in one place he said, though he is slain, Yet will I trust him. Now, I don't know if I'd say that to a human being. You might kill me, but I still trust you. 
The Lord knows what he's doing. It's also the book of Job we read, he knoweth the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Somebody start starting to talk trash about the Lord. Don't listen to it. Don't encourage it. And don't let that thing enter into your innermost being. Look again at verse number 20. Remember the covenant that the Lord has made. Have respect unto the covenant. It's not, I have any pull with God. It's not that you have any pull with God. But when we do pray, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son. If I were to pray to the Father in the name of John Gill, much as I respect John Gill, I'm not authorized to pray in his name. Much as I may honor Mr. Spurgeon or Mr. Bunyan or any other human in recent times, that's not going to cut it. If I were to invoke the name of Peter or Paul or both or Mary or Abraham or David, that doesn't cut it, folks. My prayer is only, always, and exactly in the name of the Son. He's the one that's made a new and living way. I have respect as much as I can and ought for men and women who have gone before me and those who have invested in my life. But they're not my Savior. And they're not your Savior either. Only the Lord. And so, remember what it is the covenant, that high and holy promise, that solemn obligation to which he has committed himself. Drop down to verse 22 for the fourth one. Remember how it is that the wicked have reproached the Lord. I've said it many times before, but I have no intention to take it back. This world is no friend of grace. Oh, if you're doing something everybody else is doing, sure, that, that, that's wonderful. But when you take a stand, when you say, this is what the Word of God says, this is what I'm obliged to, I'm supposed to think this way, my affections are to be this way, I should speak and act this way. It doesn't matter what somebody else says. They might call me a crazy old coot or something else. They might say, we just don't give a hoot what you think about a thing. And it's not because I come up with a thing or I have read a thing, but God has said it in his word. And I hope that means something to us as well. We will take seriously what it is that God has done. But the wicked, they won't miss a turn if they have opportunity, if they're thinking about to reproach the Lord. It was just last week we looked how in Job 22 it talks about a fellow, I believe his name was Eliphaz. He says, how does God know? There are people who think God is some puny little something next to nothing. He's just a bump somewhere. And we can just ignore him. Don't ever take that approach. Or if it can be worse than that, in Exodus 5, we read how that Pharaoh, probably sitting on his throne thinking, I am really something. And this Moses is standing before him. And here's Aaron. And on behalf of Moses, Aaron says, the Lord, the God of our people, has spoken to the nation of Israel. Oh yeah? What did your God say? Let my people go. You know what Pharaoh's response was? <laughs> Who's the Lord that I should obey him? He had nothing but spite and derision. You know, we read that in uh, Psalm 2, how it says the people shake their fist at God. You know, the real derision is when it says, the Lord shall have them in derision. 
Men think that God is a nothing. A guy once when I was in college said, you've been talking to your imaginary friend? <laughs> that God you talk about? When they came out with Star Wars, they said, oh, that's just like the Force, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's about as realistic. Like, that's just a fairy tale. So they would say. Well, men come up with a lot of different ideas. But God has said in his word, God is not going to be mocked. In fact, the openings of Psalms 14 and 53 both say, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. You're just fooling yourselves talking about a God and praying to a God. That's, that's just a bunch of foolishness. That's what they say. There's going to be a, a day of enlightenment. And then finally, the last verse. Forget not the voice of thine enemies. You think God's going to say, yeah, well, they, they didn't really mean it. Not long ago, Marsh and I went to a funeral, and it was not a time of rejoicing. You go to a funeral for a godly man, woman, boy, or girl, and the mature Christians are saying they have a rest from their labors, we're thankful for the good example that they set, and it's not in the Bible, but it kind of sounds like it. May their tribe increase. May we have more that are part of the solution than part of the problem. Was that summer we went to that funeral? That it was the, when, the, when, the, when the minister read off some of the things that this person had done. They'd done a bunch of trash stuff. A bunch of rotten stuff. A bunch of bad stuff. And the closest the closest that he got to what I would call a serious addressing of how she'd invested her time and talents was she has a different perspective now. <clears throat> because when your life comes to an end, I remember when I was eight, let's say, uh, I guess I am older than everybody here, so I can say, honestly. Back when I was your age, and even younger, I didn't think I'd live to be 69 years old. And I didn't know that this would happen and that would happen. And people that I thought would be around forever, I can remember when my grandpa turned 50. That was quite a while ago. Well, he's been dead many years. Have no grandparents left, no, no parents left. Even a younger brother's passed on. And the Lord doesn't come first. I'll be one to join the ranks of the millions, billions, whatever, who have passed. <clears throat> but God is faithful. Men sometimes <clears throat> carry on in such a scurrilous way. Men will shake their fist at God. Men will have fun, they call it, at God's expense. And so the psalmist is saying, remember what your enemies have said. That comes out time and time again. God has gone on record. Two things I want to leave with you. First of all, God keeps excellent books. In Numbers 32, 23, it says, Be sure your sin will find you out. When I was junior high or high school, I got my hands on a little book, Introduction to the FBI. He opened it up, and here was a quote from J. Edgar Hoover. He said, Crime does not pay. And Mr. Hoover and his underlings, to the best of their ability, they lived by that. And they pointed out that there are people who will be scofflaws, people who will 
attempt to pull this shenanigan or that at the expense of their fellow man to line their own pockets and seek their own pleasure. But even the Federal Bureau of Investigation would say crime does not pay. But the fact of the matter is sometimes it might seem to. But there is a God in heaven. And we need to know <clears throat> that no matter what we may suppose, be sure your sin will find you out. There is a payday a coming. And then also along those lines in the New Testament, we read Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You might make a monkey out of me. You might make a monkey out of somebody else. You might say, hey, that cop didn't catch me. Mom and dad didn't catch me. My instructor didn't catch me. I, I got, a, got through this thing scot-free. Maybe so, humanly speaking. But you'll never honestly be able to say that about God. There is a God in heaven. And we need to know that our sin will find us out. We need to know that as we sow, we likewise shall reap. So God has made, God has kept his covenants. That's how he works. That's how he goes on record. And if you want to know more about that, spend the rest of your life reading this book. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer.